Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast with Kate Borsay. Hello. Hayley McQueen. Hi there. And myself, Lindsay Hooper. Uh, thank you very much for downloading and for listening. We're on Twitter as well, at Offside Rule Pod. So give us a follow and we'll have Twitter Topic of the Week coming up a bit later. Also, two other topics we're going to discuss this week. Uh, let's hear it for Brentford and Burnley. It's all about the bees, isn't it? In fact, in a week where we've had two teams that have been promoted, two teams declared as champions and one manager sacked. We'll come on to that in a second, Hayley. Um, but Brentford and Burnley, we did it for Wolves, we did it for Leicester, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, so we are going to celebrate both of their promotions. Also, in topic three, it's an age thing. There is something on the table. Now, this is audio, of course, it's not visual, but there is a cake with a candle in it because... It's Lindsay's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Yes, it is my birthday um, and I wouldn't want to do anything else apart from talk football. So that's why we're doing the podcast today. Um, I'm going to start actually by getting your opinions, Hayley, on David Moyes going from Manchester United. There were all the rumours, weren't there, leading up to his sacking saying that he'd gone and then it was confirmed on Monday morning. What, What did you make of it all? I think it's a real shame and I think he's such a good man and obviously tried his best. He didn't want to go to Manchester United and fail, but it was almost like anybody that took over from um, Sir Alex Ferguson with the squad that he had was almost just doomed to fail. So I think it is a real, real shame. I think the manner of which it was dealt and the, the way that it was out there in the press was also kind of unfortunate. I know the LMA and Richard Bevan came out with that statement, didn't they, saying that it was uh, handled unprofessionally by Manchester United. Obviously, the news leaked before it happened, whether David Moyes actually did find out whether he was sacked via the press the night before. Um, maybe we'll never know, but I think he's left with complete grace and put out a statement thanking everybody and he'll move on and I'm sure he will do um, great things elsewhere but I think it's a, it's a real shame but after the run of results maybe it did have to happen. I am was I was really shocked because I thought no matter what happens, even if they finish out of the top 10, they would have stuck with them. My dad, a former Manchester United player as well, said he was massively shocked. He, he just did not see it coming either. He thought they genuinely would give him time because they said he would. But I guess it gives another manager to come in now and have their time, a bit of a head start before the summer transfer market um, hots up and where he can keep a close eye on you know the hopefuls out there in the World Cup as well and, and maybe see who he can, he can bring into Manchester United before the window opens in the summer unless it's a manager who is managing a a country Mm. in the World Cup which is how it's looking at the moment with Louis van Gaal out there as one of the front runners my personal favourite would have been um, Jurgen Klopp I think he's kind of young he's quirky he's got a real personality and I think that is what Manchester United need but he's ruled himself out he told the Guardian didn't he and said no I'm not going to do it yeah he's committed to Borussia Dortmund I don't know whether he would have been a bit too wacko for Manchester United at this stage I think they need a very experienced old head Uh, Carlo Ancelotti is the guy who's come into a lot of the press reports today. Obviously, previously, uh, they were looking at Atletico Madrid's Diego Simeone, who we saw in action last night with that beautiful haircut. Uh, Laurent Blanc from Paris Saint-Germain, but he's ruled himself out as well. I don't know. I mean, Frank de Boer, perhaps, if they don't get... I mean, it is slim pickings. You're Mm. absolutely right. Quick one for you, Hayley. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the opinion of many that Sir Alex Ferguson chose David Moyes in part because he knew that there would be no way that David Moyes would ever steal Fergie's limelight. 
In other words, Fergie's ego was so mm. big that he wanted to ensure someone came into Old Trafford to Manchester United that wasn't going to usurp Fergie's crown. Wow. I mean, if that's the case, then maybe a few pundits out there and ex-players at United might be right about Sir Alex Ferguson. Roy Keane is very vocal about him being very selfish. But Mm. I would like to think that because he loves Manchester United so much that he would not let that happen. But you you just never know, do you? He was he was never going to maybe let a Jose Mourinho come in, but that would have been sort of a, a bit of an obvious choice for me. He he would have been, I think, the chosen one as far as the fans were concerned, and it's the fans from the outset that you have to please. Diego Simeone would have been an interesting one, but at the moment, Atletico Madrid doing so well. They've got Champions League football as well next season, guaranteed. Is he going to trade that for not having Champions League? I don't know right now. Um, also, the fact that Moyes, a lot of people are saying they thought that he last through the summer well don't hold on to a manager for the summer which is a building project for next season if you're not going to keep them for next season so I understand him going now Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes apparently is is helping out with training at the moment until the end of the season but for anyone feeling slightly sorry for David Moyes I do feel a bit sorry for him but I did read from one of our colleagues um, a little comment and it was to do with his payoff because he obviously had a six-year contract out after a year it means that he will be able to live, if he never gets another job in football, he'll be able to live on £150,000 a year and that's until he is 80 years old. How crazy. So you can't feel too sorry for him. Um, I bet you he has a massive birthday cake compared to mine. I'm not being ungrateful, Kate Borsay. We'll put a picture up as soon as we can find a like that's good enough for Miss Hooper. Thank you. Uh, We're going to stick with that theme though because, Kate, coming off your point about Carlo Ancelotti, I do think he would be a great replacement and one of the reasons um, I think he'd be good at Manchester United is because he would bring an English coach with him, uh, his assistant and I'm going to bring bring him up in a second because we're going to start with topic one and topic one we are calling Saintly Managers. We are recording this podcast on St George's Day a very English day um, and so with that in mind I wanted you to think about the managerial vacancies that might be coming up and an up and coming English manager. There aren't too many out there I'm afraid at the moment at the top of the game in this country so maybe you want to identify a young up and coming manager for future years. One example each with some justification as to why we should keep an eye out for them. Hayley McQueen first, as usual. My first is a man you've probably never heard of. So there you have it. He's called Anthony Hudson. Quite possibly one of the best English managers that you have never heard of. He was the son of a man that we all heard of if you knew Chelsea back in the day, Alan Hudson. Now, he has been appointed of the Bahrain national side. He was appointed as manager of the Bahrain national side at just 32 years of age. Um, He moved there in uh, March a year and a half ago under the wing of Peter Taylor who brought immediate success to Bahrain in the under-23s and the Olympic sides as well of course you might remember he worked with them Um, so he was given the nod he replaced Gabriel Calderon as manager of the senior team and uh, Anthony Hudson has been working really closely alongside him at the moment Um, He's gone there. He doesn't care about working in England. He just wants to work anywhere. He can get the chance to to really improve on his coaching skills. Um, He obtained his UEFA A licence, the second highest European coaching qualification at the tender age of 25 years old. So he is touted as the hottest young English manager around, but not many people would know his name. He was actually picked up and spotted by Harry Redknapp, who during his time coaching at Tottenham called him a young Jose Mourinho. He has... 
Mourinho-esque charm, apparently. Um, he spent time with the special one as well at Real Madrid um, the other season, I think 2012, 2011, sometime around about then, um, to go and pick up some tips from him as well. Although British press at the moment seem to be falling out of love with Jose Mourinho, don't they? I think it's more Mourinho trying to fall out of love with them. And I just thought, well, if Mourinho's the special one, Hayley, clearly Anthony Hudson is the young one. Exactly. So we don't have the, you know, the glitz and the glamour out there in Bahrain, of course, of the Premier League. I don't even know what the, the standard of football is out there, but the national team doing pretty well, particularly the youngsters coming up. And if he's going to learn from the likes of Harry Redknapp, uh, Peter Taylor and also Jose Mourinho, then he's definitely the one to watch. Also, he says he doesn't mind where he goes next. He said, as long as the job is a progression, I'm happy. I can now speak Spanish and I've just started French, so I'd like to be able to speak four languages, which I'm sure will open more doors for me. So there you go, my one to watch. And someone who we know only too well, she does a great Edith Piaf, um, speaks great French, Kate Borset. Um, talking English, because it is, of course, St George's Day this week, which is why we're, why, why we're on it. Um, I went down through the leagues and um, picked out a side that I have mentioned before when we were discussing our PFA Player of the Year and also um, looking at, um, at sort of shining stars throughout the leagues as well. And at that time I mentioned Rochdale, and I'm going to bring them back into the fold now, not for the player who I mentioned when we were discussing it back in the day. Scott Hogan, but for their manager, Keith Hill. Now, he's been around a little while, so it's not like he's sprung out of nowhere and quite a few of our listeners will have heard of him before. He's a Bolton boy. He uh, currently has Rochdale third in League Two, so they're in the automatic promotion places as it stands today. Um, It's his second stint in charge of the club. When he was there back from 2006 to 2011, he actually got the team promoted. They finished ninth in their first season in League One. He then took a bit of a sabbatical, went off to look after Barnsley, a championship side. So he really progressed from League Two to League One, up to the championship over the course of three seasons. But a bit of a rude awakening, Barnsley... Not that much money, um, and he kept them in the league, kept them in the championship with only one point to spare. Uh, He left the club, went back to Rochdale, and since then he's been doing fine work at the club. They made the fourth round of the FA Cup in the process, beating Leeds United. Um, And he calls his fellow League Two opposition the money clubs, because by all accounts he doesn't work with a massive budget. What makes him stand out as an up-and-coming manager, and I think it's all very well someone being young and winning games and getting a team to a certain point in the league, is the style of play not an unattractive long ball team they do like possession football and I think that's what makes it encouraging and that's what for me gives them a future further up the leagues he's made some canny buys as well Uh, I've already mentioned um, Scott Hogan who uh, a bit like Keith Hill was at the club um, once before and has been uh, called back in and doing really really well there I like him for his wry comments as well he played um they played Portsmouth last month, Rochdale, and uh, and his quote at the time was, I don't owe anyone anything. I don't even have a credit card. Uh, talking about, obviously, the financial position that Portsmouth have found themselves in over the years. So for me, Keith Hill, one to look out for further up the leagues, whether that's with Rochdale or, I think, most likely with uh, other teams as his career progresses. He's 44, which just about, I think, makes him young enough. Yes, young enough, under 45. And mine's 42, actually, and I've already teased who it is. It's Carlo Ancelotti's number two at Real Madrid at the moment, Paul Clement. Now, he was actually at Chelsea. He was under-16s coach. I think this is back in 2009. And went from under-16s coach to become Ancelotti's first team coach in just four years, showing his promise. Um, 
I think their reserve sides and Premier League winning sides at Chelsea all had a lot to thank Paul Clement for. He went on to work with Ancelotti as well when he went over to France to work uh, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, one of our favourite players who's mentioned on this podcast um, at PSG. That was he also gets a mention later, Lindsay. Oh, and by me. Oh, that means we've all got snap. <laughs> um, and Gareth Bale um, and Cristiano Ronaldo. He's been he's been coaching those at Real Madrid recently under Carlo Ancelotti. So he seems to be um, that person that Ancelotti is just taking round from club to club. He went from a PE teacher um, to a part-time grassroots coach. He's worked his way up. And you think of the calibre of players that he's working with now. Gareth Bale, um, like I say, Ronaldo... Uh, working with those sorts of players on a day-in, day-out basis has to be putting him in good stead for a, a number one position, surely. And he has been quoted. He spoke to the FA and he said, I do have ambitions to be a manager. I'm not in a rush and I've got to wait for the right opportunity. But apparently he's also on Roy Hodgson's radar as someone to watch. So maybe he'll come into the England fold at some point as a coach or something. But um, Paul Clement is the one that I'm going to say is somebody we should be keeping an eye on. Better not tell Ray Lewington that. Well, no, we'll keep it to ourselves for now. Just between us and all the podcast listeners. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football. I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I definitely prefer this. Topic number two, then, we're going to go on to some Burnley and Brentford loving. Let's start with our new Premier League club for next season, Burnley. How great to see them in the top flight again. Um, It hasn't been too many years, four years, hasn't it, since they were in the top flight. Um, What I would like is a little gem of a fact about Burnley that people might not otherwise know, starting with Hayley. Okay, I've got a fact and I've got a story for you. So Burnley are one of only three teams to have won all four division titles. Who are the other two? Lindsay Hooper. Wolves are one of them. They are. And Preston is the other. Now, there is a naughty mascot that is at Burnley. And this season, he got himself into trouble yet again. He's been prolific (laughs) in causing absolute carnage. Is he a serial offender? He absolutely is. He's called Bertie B, which links in nicely to Brentford and the Bees up there. But their Bertie B, during a game, somehow managed to get a pair of glasses and throw them at the assistant referee. <laughs> he was behind him, sort of on the touchline, making sure that the kids at the front were entertained, as they do, sort of the mascot there, cheering every, everybody on. He got this giant pair of goggles and just threw it at the assistant referee's head whilst he was stood there with his, his little flag just, you know, taking charge of the game. Um, Simon Hooper, who was the ref at the time, actually sent him to the stands. He went over, told him off and gave him a red card and sent him to the stands. Us Hoopers can be disciplinarians, you know. Yeah. yeah. As the assistant looked around, it's he's behind you. The other kids started shouting, that is right. Yes, they actually won 2-0, so it didn't matter too much. Um, that was in a game against QPR. In a game against Preston, one of the other four, one of the other three sides to win all four division titles. See how I'm nicely working it in there. He rugby tackled a streaker. That's right. He actually ran onto the pitch during the game, which was... Currently, you know, in action at the time as a streaker ran out, absolutely tackled him down. And once he got him down and the security guards came over to rescue the streaker and Bertie B, he did a worm dance. That's right. So they have a famous, famous mascot. We're going to have to keep him maybe locked away, perhaps whilst the games are going on in the Premier League. So I can't imagine that happening live on Sky. As long as it was called a worm dance because nothing was out on show or anything. Oh, Oh, weird. (laughs) Tackling the tackle. Um, I'm going to tell you about some history to do with the FA Cup now that involves Burnley. 
So did you know, going back in time with the FA Cup, that if you drew a tie and then had a replay and drew that, you'd then have to play again? If you yeah. drew that, you play again. So it wasn't like it is now because they had to refine the rules to keep it quicker. And I think this game, including Burnley, is the reason why. Because back in 1956, a fourth round tie with Chelsea went down as one of the longest in history. Because the pair of the sides, they drew one all twice. Then they drew nil-nil. Then they drew two all before finally Chelsea won two nil in a fifth game that finally settled it. But can you imagine how many trips those fans had to make up and down, up and down, up and down for Burnley? It's a shame that story doesn't um, actually resolve with Burnley being the triumphant side. I do appreciate that as my little fact, but I do think it's an interesting one. Definitely wouldn't bring that back, but I would like to see gold and gold brought back. I just think it's so exciting as the first goal goes in, in extra time or added time. That, that kind of is fun, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like that too. But then I do like penalties too. I just oh, think there's yeah. nothing more random than penalties. But it's the moment when the goalkeepers can shine for once, True. isn't it? Mm. Okay, uh, yours, Kate? Burnley playing claret and blue. That's not because Burnley necessarily decided that they were, that they were nice colours, that they fancied uh, playing in that particular strip or that there's any historical significance to Burnley in those colours. It's purely just a copy, a copycat of Aston Villa, who in 1910 were a great side in their day. Because... Saying that, didn't Burnley at one point, they played in something like green and amber, was it? They used to play in green. Yeah, because it clashes with the pitch and amber as well is getting way too close to the Wolves colour. Well, yeah. Um, So, yes, it was just a pure copycat of Aston Villa. They wanted to be great like the Aston Villa side of 1910. So they thought, what better way to mimic Aston Villa's performance? Forget about the style of play. Forget about the quality of players. We'll just match their kit instead. Great. Um, Now, you heard about the... Invincibles run in uh, 2003-2004 for Arsenal where they uh, played a huge amount of games unbeaten without loss. Well, Burnley had their own go at it, but they were the first club to have had a 30-match unbeaten run in 1921, the longest stretch without defeat in league history until that Arsenal season. I'm going to have to interject because we've got two teams that got promoted this week. We have to move on to Brentford, the Mighty Bees. Natalie Sawyer will be smiling from cheek to cheek, won't she? Uh, Brentford going to be in the Championship next season. I'd like a little fact on Brentford, please. Well, you know that Griffin Park at the moment is no longer going to be Griffin Park and Brentford will have a new home in about three or four seasons. Well, they very nearly didn't have a home or even a football club in 1967. Brentford very nearly became QPR. In January 1967, the Brentford chairman, Jack Dunnett, agreed to sell the club to the chairman of QPR, Jim Gregory, thinking that nobody would really be that bothered. It's fine, we'll sell the club, we'll sell the ground to QPR. Not a problem, take us over, do your thing. Absolutely not. There were 38 days of demonstration by supporters. The national media absolutely got on top of it. The sale collapsed. Dunnett was then forced to sell his shares in the club and it stayed Brentford and they stayed at Griffin Park. But 67, 68, very nearly kaput. Cameron Diaz. Amazingly famous actress, very attractive, very well known, can command hundreds of millions of, well, no, tens of millions of pounds of film. She is a Brentford fan. This is according to Dan Tarno, who owns an L.A. restaurant popular with the Glitterati. He says Cameron's a regular. She's always at the Griffin Park terraces whenever she's in London. All right, mate, perhaps. I did have a look on Cameron Diaz's Twitter account to see if there was any comment on Brentford's promotion. She's not tweeted anything since the end of March. So to give her her 
overdue. She could be a Brentford fan. Such the rumours are. But we'd probably have to check with Natalie Sawyer, wouldn't we, for that one? Natalie Sawyer won't like that because suddenly there might be some competition for the back of that bus, bus yeah. hadn't there? Um, I'm going to keep mine very brief here, but I just think it's it's a fitting point to make. At the moment, Griffin Park, I know it's going to change in a few months' time, but it's the only football club, Brentford, in England with a pub on all four corners of the ground. Happy days. Just like my village, a perfect village. <laughs> I think we should also make a quick mention um, for Mark Warburton, the manager, who went from a city trader in London to managing Brentford and taking them into the championship. What a sacrifice he made and what a, what a, what a risk and gamble it was, but one that paid off. Um, he went through via Watford's youth setup and eventually went to Brentford, um, becoming their manager and um, has, has seen promotions very quickly. So well done to Mark as well. An amazing achievement. And it's time for us now to go on to Twitter Topic of the Week. Uh, It's time for Sean Thorne to give us the latest. Twitter Topic of the Week. There's a great interview in The Guardian by Anna Kessel. Uh, with the brother and sister combination, Eniola and Sonny Aluko, both gun into play in the World Cup. So we thought we'd ask you guys about your favourite footballing siblings. Hannah Ellen said, well, it's got to be Meghan and Martha Harris, doesn't it? Well, there was a time when Lincoln Ladies was pretty much the Harris family club. Not only with the two daughters playing for the side, but their dad, Glenn, was also managing the team until October 2012. Now, Six Music Chris, see, we know Chris loves his Brentford, so it's no surprise, really, that he's gone for the Sodje brothers. Now, Sam was a favourite in his time with Brentford. Hashtag the new Pele. Uh, He scored 12 goals for Brentford and probably had just as many nonsense hairstyles as well. Uh, Tom S has gone for a few here. He says someone will mention Bobby and Jack Charlton, so it may as well be me. Might as well be Tom. Uh, World Cup winners together in 1966, so obviously a big shout there. Uh, He's also gone for righties boys, Sean Wright Phillips and his half-brother Bradley. They're still knocking around in West London and New York. And from the women's game, Tom's gone for Millwall Lionesses youth products, Katie and Sophie Chapman. And Katie notching up 82 England caps. And finally... Harriet's gone for the Neville brothers. 144 England caps between them. Gary's won eight Premier League titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups and two Champions Leagues. Phil, six Premier League titles, three FA Cups and famously the Champions League as part of the treble in 1999. Cheers, everyone. Who's got in touch this week? I've been Sean Thorne. I'll hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that, Sean. Um, Next up, it's topic three. It's an age thing. It really is. Um, The numbers and digits that we're bothered about are 32 because that is my age. Um, By the way, from this podcast onwards, I'm never going to reveal my age again. (laughs) That's the last time people will hear it in numbers. Um, So what we get to do is pick out two football players um, that are 32, that are still going strong, that are very good. Now, from earlier in the podcast, I'm going to take a hunch. I'm just having a little bit of a thing out there thinking that maybe Zlatan Ibrahimovic might be on our list. Can I have that being birthday girl? I do love Zlatan. Um, All I'm going to say about him, 32 years old, he's not lost it, has he? And I'm going to have a case in point. His 31 into 32 year being last season, he had 163 shots on goal. 67 were on target more than any other striker. That's all you can ask for, isn't it, from someone up front? I'll leave it there. Wouldn't we love him to play in the World Cup this summer? Instead, it was Portugal and Ronaldo. A bit of a toss-up between the two talents, wasn't it? Yeah, but Ibrahimovic saying, don't even bother watching the World Cup if Zlatan's not there, which he actually said in third person. Or what about 32-year-old Samuel Eto'o? 
<laughs> who Mourinho said he is 32, maybe 35. Who knows? It's one of those things we all do tend to lie about our age, don't we? Sometimes. Tell a little fib here and there. I can tell you, I'm not lying. I will start lying from now on. Um, but I think Eto is definitely over 32. Yeah. Well, Mourinho seems to think maybe 35. Well, guess what? His, his ex-girlfriend, Anna Baranka, has joined the debate and she's come out to say, I think Samuel is not 35, he's more like 39. Oh. She said Samuel was born in 1974 and that makes him 39 now. <laughs> so thank you, Anna. A woman scorned. In that case, we need to sort of give him more plaudits, don't we? Ryan Giggs got plenty for his, <laughs> his tender age, didn't he? Um, Kate Borsay, yours? One of mine and your favourite players, Xabi Alonso's 32, Ooh. still going strong. Not only has he won several accolades for his country, Euro 2008, Euro 2012, 2010 World Cup. He's also won numerous trophies and titles for his club as well. We all know what he did with Liverpool and most importantly, the Champions League in 2005. But for Real Madrid, he, his success carried on. You know, he really went from strength to strength, picking up the La Liga title, a couple of Copa del Reyes as well. Uh, 30 appearances this season, still going strong. Another one that you wouldn't mind in your side, and I think a lot of people had written him off, even though he's, he's such a talent. David Villa, he's 32, uh, rejuvenated his career at Atletico Madrid. Um, they got him for a cut price of 5.1 million euros in August last year. And he scored on his debut. And in March this year, he managed to score a brace in the first match as well. And he's still getting in the goals and doing really well. Atletico, of course, top of the Liga. Spanish players, they all seem to be of, of an age. Uh, Ica Casillas, he's also 32 as well, of course, the number one-ish at Real Madrid and, and the Spanish um, national team captain as well. But what about a 32-year-old coach, the next Mourinho, Francisco Neto? He is 32. He's actually, um, at the moment, the um, Portuguese women's coach. A bit like we have Mark Sampson here, don't we? He's 31, so he doesn't quite make it in, but we'll give him a little nod anyway. Yeah, he's got, he's got a deal where he's now the, the, the manager um, of the women's side. He was actually the goalkeeping coach uh, underneath the national team manager, Monica Jorge, from 2008 to 2010. He was also in charge as well of Goa India. That was the, the men's side there. They call him Professor Neto because he's regarded as one of the most promising coaches in Portugal. Again, like Anthony Hudson, who I mentioned earlier, acquired UA for pro licence by scoring the second highest score in his country. He worked as a technical coordinator with the Portuguese national teams uh, as well as the Football Association of Visu. Don't know where that is. But anyway, he comes from the same university as Mourinho's trusted lieutenant, Rui Faria, who, of course, is the crazy uh, man on the bench who likes to, to, to get very, very emotional indeed uh, during games. Um, he was actually, um, he's been an interpreter as well. He's uh, worked at Club Portugal, Porto and Barcelona. So he's learnt from Mourinho, he's learnt from the best and he's definitely one to watch in terms of coaches who is 32. I know he's not quite a player and he wasn't a player, but definitely these names I'm hoping will come up in a few years' time. We can say, oh, we discovered them here on the Offside Rule podcast. <laughs> a couple of Brazilian ones to finish off with as we're warming up for the World Cup. Maicon being one, he's 32. Um, Kaka. 32. It feels like he should be 39, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but he's my second choice, Kaka. Plays, uh, of course, for Brazil. We should see him in action, hopefully, this summer. And also at AC Milan. He's made 32 appearances for uh, AC Milan this season so far. Still going strong. I'm loving you, Kate Borsay, for finishing on AC Milan because that has nicely taken me into all things Italy, all things Syria, with Mina.
Hello and welcome back to the world of Serie A and what imagining world it is. Leeds new owner dear Massimo Cellino reckons Italy drove him away. On from calling his Cagliari side a Fiat 500 in comparison to the Ferrari that is Leeds United, he described the Sant'Elia stadium as a pile of rubble and said that if the Sardinians stay in the top flight, it's not because they're any good but because the others are really bad. How rude! I find the Fiat 500 to be a beautifully made car, and I bet Juventus feel the same. But back to football, and Roma's president doesn't agree. He feels Serie A is on the up, and that Roma was a beautiful investment, both for him and his business partners. With their plans for a new stadium and other teams strategizing for the future, Calcio will soon be back to being the best. Roma lie in second place, training Juve by eight points. If the old lady wasn't so ruthlessly efficient, the capital club would be celebrating the Scudetto. Honestly, Italy could do with them lifting the trophy, if only to set the example for others. Genuine belief, good planning, excellent tactics, they are Italy's fairy tale. A much better story than Inter, who despite winning their last few games, have a coach who's simply proud of never having been sacked. Some covet trophies, others just don't want to be David Moyes. Bravo, Mazzari. As for Milan, it's five wins on the trot. Can they finish in a Europa League place? The fans don't really want to, but the club are desperate for the honour. Whatever happens, it seems Seedorf won't be coaching them next season. That's all for now. Ciao! Thank you very much for that, Mina. That's it for episode 35 of the Offside Rule We Get It. Remember to go to the website, offsiderulepodcast.com. We have brand new blogs going up there all the time. And we will have next week, we'll be introducing a women's roundup to this podcast as well. So Sue Smith, currently playing for Doncaster Bells and for England, will be doing a roundup for us. And Alex Scott has done a couple of written blogs for us all about the Women's Super League. So thank you very much both. Thank you, birthday girl. Mm. Oh, do I get a song on, on the way out? <laughs> no, I'll save it for someone else. <laughs> Provided you with this huge cake, which we need a zoom lens for on a camera to <laughs> have photographic evidence on the podcast. Yeah, well, I don't think you're having any of that now. Goodbye. The female take on football.